Here we go, it's time for episode 6 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition, of course, with myself, Joe Serralo, and my man Mackenzie Rivers. Catch him on Twitter, at Mac and Rivers. Catch me on the socials, that's on Twitter, at TheJoeSerralo, and on Instagram, at JoeSerralo. Mackenzie, last episode, we were both very confident, and we both lost our best bets. First episode, where neither of us landed a best bet. Let's get back on track tonight. Let's do it. Let's get back in the winning ways. Absolutely. You know, we've got a lot of future odds that I want to talk about on this episode. We've got MVP discussions already. I mean, it sounds crazy. We're not even halfway through the season. We're already talking about the MVP award. But, you know, the odds makers start talking about this months before the season even tips off. So we'll get into that. I also want to get into some championship odds because we have got some all-stars returning to their respective teams this week. Kyrie Irving expected to rejoin the Nets Wednesday night in Indiana. Klay Thompson expected to join the Warriors for Sunday's matchup with the Cavaliers. My man, what kind of impact will these two returns have on each team's respective championship odds? The Brooklyn Nets went off the playoffs as even money favorites. It was pretty much the field, 50% chance they win. The Nets with the big three, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant. 50% chance that that squad wins. That was the setup as we entered the playoffs last year. Now, we have the same field. Maybe the Lakers are a little worse. The Clippers are a lot worse without Kawhi and Paul George currently. And we have the upstart Warriors. Well, the pie has been split quite differently, which prices in the uncertainty that Kyrie Irving coming back may not be Kyrie Irving all the way back. Because now it's Nets about 25%. They're the favorite at plus 250 So it went from even money, 50% chance, to about 25% plus 250. And then you have everybody else, including the number two team in the odds, the Golden State Warriors right now, plus 450. And they get their maybe their second best player back, their second best guard back in Klay Thompson. So what what, what is this all preamble to say? If Kyrie Irving was expected to be the same Kyrie Irving and have the same fit, that he had with the Brooklyn Nets towards the tail end of last year, then we would have seen a huge adjustment to the title odds returning to where they were before the start of last playoffs. We haven't seen anything like that. In fact, if you went back last week, two weeks ago, start of the season, exactly the same nearly title odds for the Brooklyn Nets. They've been around plus 250. That tells me that the odd situation with playing home games or playing road games, not playing home games, When does that all get congealed? The market is pretty much saying we have the exact same amount of uncertainty about that situation as we had two weeks ago or when the season started. I think that's kind of a mistake. I think Kyrie Irving coming back so early is better than the 50-50 expectations proposition. Yes, maybe he only plays road games. Maybe we have that same difficulty the Brooklyn Nets have had and that same uncertainty, but the fact that he's getting those game reps, reps in now. You mentioned he's going to be at Indiana. used to be Banker Life Fieldhouse House, some wacky name now. The Indiana Pacers Stadium he's, Arena, he's going to be there, and he's going to have those reps. So in three months, it's not going to be, what does the big three look like together? It's going to be like, what have the big three looked like progression-wise over the past six weeks? And that's a huge, gigantic difference to me. So big up arrow as far as the Nets title odds are, as far as I'm concerned. However, near term, a lot of moving parts, a brand new point guard that's used to having the ball more than, you know, bringing up the ball more than 50% of the time. And now he's only going to play 50% of the games. So that in, out, stop, start type of situation for the Nets, I think is going to be problematic uh, in the near term although I'm optimistic about what it means for their cohesiveness long-term. For example, the Pacers, a top five first quarter margin team, they're going to be a very tight-knit unit compared to Kyrie Irving coming off the street on Wednesday. So bonus best bet, I think you got to get plus three, but if it's plus three or better, Pacers first quarter is one way to, to look. A very good first quarter team versus Brooklyn Nets trying to fit all the pieces together on the fly. The other team, however, Kyrie Irving, ball dominant, 
personality-driven, dynamic player. Clay Thompson is as cool as the other side of the pillow. He is the exact opposite dynamic. Stand in the corner wide open and shoot threes at a 45% clip is something he's going to be able to do till the day he dies. I think that's much more seamless, even though he hasn't played in two years. I think it's, whereas Kyrie Irving, it might be net, net positive in the long run, but short-term choppy. I think adding Klay Thompson back to that group is plus EV. What's the word? Is additive, is net positive from day one and just gets better as he gets his sea legs under him. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with a lot of what you just said. I might not be as high on the Nets long-term with Kyrie as you are. But when it comes to Clay, like you hit the nail on the head, man. Cool as the other side of the pillow. Him returning to the Warriors lineup, it's going to be business as usual for the rest of the team, plus an all-star player. Whereas Kyrie returning is not going to be business as usual. It's going to definitely shake things up. And you mentioned the impact that him starting on road games and not playing at all in home games is going to have. You know, I look at a guy like Patty Mills, who in what year 12 or 13 for him in the NBA, maybe even year 14 at 33 years old, he's having a career year. And for the first time in his career, he is a starter. He is the starting point guard for the Nets more often than he hasn't been this year. I don't believe he's ever started over 50% of his games in a season until this year. And so I'm really curious. You have a guy like him who's finally playing a predominantly starters role for the first time in his career. And he's excelling in that role, having a career season. He's shooting off the charts from beyond the arc, one of the best three-point shooters in basketball. How is this going to impact him? The uncertainty, going from starting most nights to now, okay, at home, I'm going to start and get more minutes on the road. Not only is he not going to start, but of course, with Kyrie in there, he's going to see a tremendous minutes reduction. Because even if you wanted to slide Patty Mills to the two guard, well, Who's your two guard? It's James Harden, another all-world caliber player just like Kyrie. So there's not a lot of room for depth in that Brooklyn Nets backcourt. And Patty Mills is going to be in road games the odd man out. So how is that not just slight reduction, but drastic reduction in minutes on the road going to affect Patty at home when he's called on to start and to play 34, 35 minutes? That's what I'm looking at. I don't know if the Kyrie midseason part-time addition really benefits Brooklyn all that much in the long run. On the other hand, Clay Thompson, I mean, right now you mentioned you've got the Nets at plus 250, the Warriors at plus 450. Well, take the Warriors now while you can, because these odds have not been updated since New Year's Eve, December 31st. Once these are updated, I mean, the Warriors should be plus 350, maybe even plus 300. Like Thompson coming back should knock those odds down, knock the value down for the better, down tremendously. Whereas Kyrie coming back, I don't think it should shake up the value all that much. Maybe from plus 250 to plus 200. In my opinion, Vegas might actually put more weight on it. But to me, Clay is the much bigger addition for his team because it will be business as usual plus a star. There's not going to be drama. There's not going to be question marks. There's not going to be uncertainty or a lack of consistency. When Clay comes in, it's business as usual couple things. First, housekeeping note, I'm not sure what odds are you're looking at at your screen, but here in the pregame studios, we quote only the most up-to-date pregame consensus odds. Shout out to Mark Greens and administrative staff for getting this done every single day that we need it. And yes, you're right. There are books a-moving as far as the Warriors go. Back on the 20th, they were plus 600 consensus. Now they're plus 450. But Bet Online, a sharp book, move their numbers to plus 350. Westgate has them as the favorite above the Nets at plus 350. But there's a lot of books out there, so do your shopping. William Hill, DraftKings, a little late to the news as far as what's happening with the rest of the futures market. That's where we get our plus 450 consensus. Now, back to real quick on Patty Mills, because I've noticed too, he's been a, a PTP or he's been that guy, maybe the Nets' third most important player this year. He's shooting a career-high 44% from three. I have to think that has something to do with the fact that he's playing a career-high 31 minutes per game, starting the majority of games, as you mentioned. Last year, he shot 37% from three, near the bottom of where he was year-by-year year on a career basis. So he's had an immediate turnaround, going from a bench player shooting near his career lows to a starter shooting his near-career highs 
I don't think that continues. I think it regresses to the mean as he gets less rhythm, as he gets less minutes. He becomes a less functional player, and that's why it's a beautiful game. That's why I don't think LeBron's the greatest player of all time, just <laughs> just, just as an aside, because what makes Patty Mills 3% better here, 5% better here, and that goes down up and down the 12-man roster to get the best unit functioning at tip-top shape requires sacrifice from 1 through 15 players. It requires a commitment, an understanding, a focus from 1 through 15 players. So you just can't look at one guy and this stat and this metric and 15,000 this and 10,000 that. How have you fit historically to maximize the other guys in your rosters, your brothers in arms. I think Larry Bird is just something that uh, any any puzzle, he would have fit into that puzzle perfectly. I think Kevin Durant is a similar beast in that his playing style is, what do you need? You need me to be three blocks a game guy at the center? You need me to pull out from three? That's kind of the magic of basketball. And this very small Patty Mills shooting his career high as a starter versus career low as a bench player is just a small microcosm of the menagerie of moving parts that is pro basketball. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And with Patty Mills, you know, he's never going to be, even though this year he is one of the best three-point shooters in the league, he's never going to be your number one or even your number two guy, right? But the Nets don't need that from him. So even though he was at his best with San Antonio, it won him a ring as a bench player, as a role player who came in and gave fewer minutes, but meaningful minutes. With Brooklyn, he's being asked to give more minutes and to be a starter in Kyrie's absence, but he's still not being asked to be the number one guy or even the number two guy. And I think that's why you're maximizing his performance because let's be honest, there is a lot less pressure when you're on the court with Durant and Harden. If you're making shots, keep shooting. If you're missing, pass it off to those two. So Patty Mills, definitely, the Nets are getting the most out of him and he's embracing his role, but you got to give him credit because... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think you'll disagree with me on this one. He's a guy who just anywhere he's been, any team he's played for, and he spent a lot of years with San Antonio, but different Spurs teams from the beginning of his time there to the end, he just does what he's asked. And and he does so at a pretty respectable, pretty high level. I think for me, that's what makes Patty Mills just so damn likable. He's the exact opposite in every way of his countryman, Ben Simmons. It's never <laughs> about Patty Mills. It's just about getting the job done. Yeah, I gotta love, gotta love a guy like Patty Mills. Yeah, ask not what my country can do, or ask not what your country can do for you, right? Ask <laughs> yep. what you can do for your country. Hey, while we're looking at these championship odds, one thing that I want to keep an eye out for is the Eastern Conference champion odds, because the odds I was looking at, by the way, were Vegas Insider. That was the one that was just updated uh, as recently as New Year's Eve that showed Warriors plus 450. I'm keeping an eye on the Milwaukee Bucks to win the East, because I'm looking at plus 300 on that. And that value should even be more favorable towards the better. With Kyrie coming back, the Bucks might shoot up to plus 350, plus 400. And that is a team I would jump on to come out of the East. Because you know, I'm not the big Kyrie lover, the, the guy who wants the impossible burger, vegan vaccine. Uh, I, I don't care for him that much off the court. On the court, I respect him, but I still might not hype him up as much as most people. I'll take the Bucks and their big three because one by one, their big three might not be as talented, but I think their big three of Holiday, Middleton, and Giannis, they play better as a unit than the Nets' big three. And I think that if you can get better value on Milwaukee to win the East after Kyrie comes back, that's what you should hop on, not the Nets at, of course, a decreased value. Looking at updated odds from the Westgate, Nevada, sharp book here in town. The Brooklyn Nets to win the East, plus 140. Milwaukee Bucks plus 325, drops all the way to Miami Heat at plus 750. I do not like that. Then the Sixers 10 to 1. If you're a if you're a Brooklyn skeptic, then yeah, plus 325 looks juicy. This is the same team that just won the finals, lest we forget. Absolutely. I mean, to me, I just feel like the books are really disrespecting Milwaukee. We all know they got off to a terrible start this season, but the team has really pieced it together. They're tied with the Nets currently in the standings. They're both a game behind the Chicago Bulls, who, by the way, we're going to talk about the Bulls some here. Your Chicago Bulls, McKenzie. Yes, sir. What are the Bulls' odds to come out of the East? Because they're greater than 10 to 1 odds, no? 
Yeah, I have to uh, scroll down here on the app a little bit, but they're also 10-1. to 1. They have the same odds as Philly. They're tied fourth favorite. Big divergence from the beginning of the season when you could have got them at 50-1 to 1 to win the East. Definitely a big divergence, but still, I think, a great value. In fact, I think that's the second best value behind only Milwaukee at plus 325. Of course, it's a higher value, but, you know, factoring in the being realistic factor, I think there's a better chance the Bucks, of course, come out of the East but I would sooner bet the Bulls 10 to one than I would the Nets plus 140. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think, I think the Bulls, as good as they've been, I feel like they're a bit of a regular season team. I don't know who I'm relying on in the spring. Whereas the Sixers at 10 to one, I feel like I can imagine whether it's a Ben Simmons trade and they get Damian Lillard or something, or even if it's just Joel Embiid, I kind of can imagine a team making a late playoff run built around Embiid. Can't really imagine it built around DeRozan, but hey, he's proven me wrong before. He keeps proving people wrong. Back-to-back game winners. Never been done before. Larry Bird hit back-to-back game winners and back-to-back games, but not on consecutive nights. Impressive. Very impressive. We'll get into those MVP odds, but I do want to include, it's pretty ironic that you make that point because coming into the season, when the Bulls made the signings and the addition of Lonzo and then bringing in DeMar, it was the whole, are the Bulls contenders or are they pretenders? Because they're assembling this seemingly stacked roster. And I actually made a few guest appearances on another podcast and got the got the label by those two hosts, resident Chicago Bulls hater, Joe Serralo. Because I was all over that the Bulls are pretenders, they're not contenders. And my reasoning for that, similarly to what you just said, was that, yeah, they're going to put up a ton of points in the regular season. But come April, when teams actually start playing defense, a team led by DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic, that team does not play defense. Lonzo is the exception there, but those three guys, three of their four core players are not plus defenders. And so for that reason, I was saying Chicago would flounder come the postseason. But now, after seeing what I've seen, you know, they're, they're proving me right to an extent. They're winning games with explosive offense. So we'll see what the defense can do in April when teams start trying on that side of the ball. But... I'm definitely buying in. I'm much higher on the Bulls now than I was then. Let's dive into DeMar DeRozan, though. Because when you look at the MVP odds, and there's a bit of a bit of a uh, a change here, because you can find it anywhere between 28 to 1 and even as high as 40 to 1 for DeMar DeRozan to win the MVP. Is it worth the value? Is 40 to 1 or even 28 to 1 worth sprinkling a little money on DeMar? Can it, can it happen, McKenzie? It cannot happen. It is impossible. <laughs> and sorry to burst the bowl for anyone that is standing there with a 100-to-1 ticket from earlier in the season, but as impressive it is to hit back-to-back game winners, I mean, I just struggle to find the statistical category, not the narrative, not the uh, you know 18-word answer about why DeRozan's the MVP, but what's the statistical argument when you put them up against guys like Giannis and KD, and Steph Curry. Player of the month? Sure. MVP, I just don't see it happening. So much so that we have a 20-player list that Mark already mentioned him, shout out Mark Green, that regularly tracks daily the MVP updates. He wasn't even on our list as of this morning. I had to say, hey, Mark, add him to the list because he wasn't even 100 to 1. That's where we cut it off at the beginning of the year. And now we throw him on the list and he's the seventh favorite. It's it's the fact that it's on our lips that, that we can even think of it is why they've improved the odds so much, trying to entice some betters to back that narrative up with some money. But I think that turns to dust in the end. I do not recommend it. In fact, text me. I'll book you, DeMar DeRozan, to win MVP. I'll book you. We'll keep it in-house. No vig. I don't know if that's legal, so I didn't say that, but no, it's not going to win. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I mean, I tend to agree with you, right? When I put my realist cap on, I tend to agree with you and say, you know, at some point, the shine's going to wear off a bit, and he's going to come back down to earth a little bit. There's a ton of recency bias with this headline because, like you said, first guy ever, not just consecutive games, but consecutive nights to hit buzzer beaters. And so, of course, he's the hot talk of the town, the talk of the league right now. but. I do like playing devil's advocate. So I'm going to make an argument as to why DeMar DeRozan has a chance because he is having a career year, right? If you look, and I know that the MVP, all that matters is this season. It's not 
what he's doing now compared to past years. But look at him. And at this stage in his career, the way he's improved, he's having the second highest scoring season of his career at 26.8 points per game. He is having the second best season from the free throw line at almost 88%. And his three-point shooting, most importantly, is why I think this is sustainable. Because he is, throughout his career, an awful three-point shooter. 28% on his career. Each of the last two seasons shot just 25% from beyond the arc. Both seasons played over 60 games each season. And this year, a career best over 37% from deep. That's nine percentage points higher than his career average. And we're talking a humongous sample size there, right? This is a guy who's been around over a dozen years. So the three-point shooting being, you know, almost halfway through the year and seeing that number that high is why I can see this uh, this success for DeMar DeRozan being sustained. And if you look at that scoring total, right, 26.8 points per game, it's fifth in the NBA, but the guy who is second, Giannis, is only one full point per game ahead of him, right? You have KD at nearly 30, and then you have Giannis at two, Steph at three, and DeMar at five. Of course, you got Trey Young in there at four, but DeMar at five is within a point of them. So this is a guy who realistically can be the league's second highest scorer come the season's end. And if you take Chicago, an organization that has had some really lean years, I'm sure as a fan, you can attest to this. It's been a really disappointing run in Chicago the past five years or so. You take them and you finish in first place in the Eastern Conference. I'm not saying finish with, you know, a top four seed home court in the first round. I'm saying because he has such a slim margin for error. If you take these bowls and you beat out the Nets and you beat out the Bucks and Philly and Atlanta, who aren't even close right now, and you get the one seed in the Eastern Conference, there is a real argument to be made there to give this guy the MVP, in my opinion. If if the team enjoys that much success and can sustain it, and he can sustain his personal numbers along the way, I mean, it's worth a look. You bring up some interesting points. Talking about the Bulls as a fan, I can tell you, since Jordan retired, we've probably had about 18 months that we felt good about the Chicago Bulls as (laughs) as a city, and that was when Derrick Rose won MVP, and, and shortly thereafter... And what was the argument for Rose in 2012, which I vehemently, you can look at forums from Bleacher Report to SB Nation. I was the leader of arguing for Derrick Rose's MVP campaign. And it came down to this. If you look if you took, look at LeBron and the rest of the Heat, all that talent, or Wade and the rest of the Heat, and then you look at the Bulls and Rose and the rest of the Bulls, and you say one team has a better record, and it's the guy that has less talent around him, then what's the argument for anybody but him, especially because that Derrick Rose was the alpha and omega on offense of that team. They had no other options. They literally had Joe Kim Noah to throw the ball to down low when they didn't have Derrick Rose, which is to say they had no one to go to. The Bulls aren't quite like that. They're not a defensive-led team, led around one offensive guard. They're more like one of those mid-2000 Suns team. They're a run-and-gun team with a lot of different options. All that said, if they end up with a better record than the Milwaukee Bucks, and their big three. And they end up with a better record than the Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant, and all the help that he has. Yeah, there is an argument. There is an argument. But that's a big if. Because I think, even though the fact that they're in number one right now, I'd say it's less than 10% that they could hold off the Nets and the Bucks to hold off. But if you, if you want to make a case for the DeRozan being number one, got to win the East. Got to have one of the best records in the league. Got to maintain all the improvements that he's made so far. You know, he's suddenly a three-point shooter, 25 per. All of his numbers are up. Yeah, it's a faint slimmer of light in the distance, but sure, I'm starting to see where it could happen. Yeah, I would definitely rather roll with DeMar than Jokic to repeat his MVP campaign uh, if if we're going with long shots. But, you know, it's going to be tough because when you look at the MVP, right, this is award, and my gripe with the award in, in basketball and in football as well, is that this award too often goes to the most outstanding player and not necessarily the most valuable player. Because with the MVP, you hit the nail on the head. You should look at that person's team and say, you know, who, if you take them off their team, whose team suffers the most? Because that's how value is determined. Not personal accolades and stats, but value. And it's why, you know, I think right now in the NFL, everyone's, you know, Aaron Rodgers is, I believe, like a minus 150 MVP favorite. And I think Jonathan Taylor should be the MVP because you take him off the Colts 
and they're not even close to sniffing the playoffs. So back to basketball, you know, with Derrick Rose, he was deserving because you take him off the Bulls, like you mentioned, the next best player, Jakeem Noah, that's a team, forget the one seed, uh, they're a fringe playoff team altogether. And if you look at value, it is really tough to not give it to Steph Curry, who has not had Klay Thompson there this year, who, you know, the second best player has been a toss-up between Draymond Green, who is a defensive first guy, or Andrew Wiggins, who up until this year, he's having a career year, but he's been labeled as entirely a bust in his uh, NBA career up until this season. So it's really tough if you make that argument, which I believe is the argument that you should make, to not give it to Steph Curry, to not give it to Giannis, who, all respect to Holiday and Middleton, they're both great players. The Bucks are not a title team without Giannis. They're not contending for a one seed without Giannis. The Bulls, DeMar, losing him would definitely hurt them, but they've still got Zach Levine who I think going into this year, everyone expected to be their best player. And then DeMar kind of came out and took everyone by storm. But they still have Lonzo to run the point, to feed Levine, to feed Vucevic, who they still have down low. The Bulls, I think, have a lot more minus DeMar than Milwaukee or Golden State would have minus Giannis, minus Steph. And that could ultimately hurt DeMar. Yeah, it it all comes down to if, if DeMar, I mean, if the Bulls are the best team in the league, then yeah, that's that's shocking enough to get him that award. But it's just it's a quarter of the season, and if if this was games twenty through forty, and he, he had played this exact same twenty game stretch or thirty game stretch, would be like, oh, nice nice run by Demar Derozan. The fact that it happened to be the first chunk of the season makes this conversation a conversation. But uh, yeah, give me give me an give me a Hall of Famer. Give me one of the Hall of Famers on my MVP list, whether it's Giannis. KD, Steph Curry, generally MVPs end up being Hall of Famers. Ironically, Derrick Rose will probably end up being, in history, the one exception. Very possible there. Jokic as well. I mean, still, he's got a lot of career left to see that one play out. But speaking of Jokic, speaking of Steph, let's get into some games. We have two games on the Wednesday night slate, and we're going to start with the Warriors at the Dallas Mavericks. McKenzie, your early projection. Of course, all four teams we're going to talk about are playing right now, Monday night, as we record this. But your early projections have Golden State as three-point road favorites in this one. So what are you looking for as they head to Dallas on ESPN Wednesday night? Well, a big question mark is whether Green, Draymond Green, will be lifted off COVID protocols. That said, how good, how much, how back is Luka Doncic is really the, the one handicapping factor. As we discuss right now, currently, the Nuggets are in a, or the Mavericks are in a, a war with the Nuggets and Luka Doncic playing pretty well, not shooting great, but playing pretty well. Go back. I'm going to go back and, and relook at that tape, see where Luka Doncic is at, because he is the one most pivotal player to any team as far as what their team look like, looks like when it's running. Maybe Damian Lillard is in this conversation, although this year not so much, because they really have to – their plan B is so different from their plan A, which is Luka doing everything uh, – Danny LaRue, NBA writer, likes to call it a heliocentric offense. I think that's a really uh, pretentious way to say he's a ball hog, but he's really good at it, and they should do it. They, they actually play pretty well when they do it that way. But if he's, if they're doing a heliocentric offense and he's 75% of what they are, then I have no problem laying it with the, Mav- with the Warriors here. And I think that's more likely than not what we're going to see because it takes Luka with his conditioning a couple games back to get at full strength. So unless there's good evidence that Luka is back to full strength, it's Warriors or pass for me. I feel like a lot of backers love Luka Doncic and love to get back on the train. I would I would, I would, tell people to, to hesitate on that. Luka Doncic much better at full strength, at full capacity, usually around January, February when his conditioning is right, than he is coming back from, a, from an extended layoff. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm not fully sold on Luca this year. And I, I believe it was our first episode together. Of course, we're on episode six now. But it was either our first episode or prior to that, the one test run we did uh, before launching this show, where we talked about Luca and his conditioning problem and how this year he's been kind of disappointing. And now coming off, you know, being away for a month with an injury, I just don't know how much I trust him yet. And if that line... You know, I truthfully, no offense, please don't take this personal about your projection. I think Golden State's going to be a bigger favorite because if that line holds and they're just three point favorites, uh, you know, both teams will have a night off in between games. 
I think that's a that's a Warriors hammer if that's the true line. Um, I know that a lot goes into your projections, and like I said, I'm not trying to take away from that, but but Golden State minus three, to me, it just looks too good to be true. And so you look at what Luka did against Oklahoma City. Mavs didn't cover his first game back uh, yesterday. They won by nine. They were 10-point favorites. He had a near triple-double. He had 14 points, uh, I want to say nine rebounds and 10 assists. Let me pull that up and just double check. Um, yeah, 14, nine, and 10. To me, it's kind of like the triple-double that Russ had uh, against, I believe it was, was it Christmas Day against the Nets where he had a triple-double? And we talked about that on the episode afterwards and we both agreed he Russ played terribly, right? I don't think Luca played that poorly, but it wasn't good enough for me to be like, oh yeah, he can go head to head and battle it out with Steph and the Warriors. You know, he's playing well tonight. He's on his way to another triple double. He's got 18 points, eight boards, 12 assists with seven minutes to go. So he just needs two rebounds and the Mavs are up eight on Denver. Who's also been really disappointing this year, but the way Dallas has played this year, I just, I don't think that they're going to be able to win or even cover against Golden State if the uh, if the line is that close. You know, when Luka was out the past month, he missed 10 games. Talis was actually 7-3 and three against the spread without Luka in those 10 games. I mean, with him, they're, you know, converting on almost about a third to 40%. 33 to 40% uh, is their cover percentage with Luka in the lineup. So he doesn't necessarily help Dallas cover. He doesn't necessarily help them win. You have the Warriors. I mean, you know, forget all the numbers, right? The fact that they're uh, converting two out of three against the spread, that they're the second best cover team in the NBA. Forget all that. When the line is this close, if it's Golden State minus three, they're not losing and they're not probably not winning by one or two. So I really like Golden State in this one. A little bit of a correction by me. I had not updated my numbers now that Draymond Green is back in the starting rotation. For the Warriors, so off the list. So let's bump up the Warriors two points, four and a half, five in Dallas. That's still a big number. That's saying in Golden State, this would be like 10, 11 for a team last year that made the playoffs. So, hey, I sometimes when I put in my numbers and it spits out something, I'm like, man, is that, but you know, that's often when it's, when it's the right time to bet when the number doesn't seem to make sense, but if you look at the power ratings, that's actually what it at what it is at. But think about this. This makes perfect sense what we're saying. This actually tracks perfectly. The number one most important player to his team comes in out of shape, 260 pounds, reportedly Luka Doncic. That team with him, it's like someone with an ankle weight on. They're dragged down. They're not performing up to expectations. You said they're under 40% against the spread with Luka in there. And as soon as you take those ankle weight off, the market doesn't realize that Luka was a compromised version of Luka. It just says, hey, no Luka, let's add five and a half points or subtract five and a half points to the power rating. Boom. That might not be exactly accurate. The rest of the Mavericks might have a chip on their shoulder playing a little bit better than expectation because they say, hey, Luka, uh, we're actually professionals. We actually do this 12 months a year. And hopefully Luka gets the memo and catches up with the rest of the Mavericks as far as playing up to, to expectation. We'll see. He, he's got a lot of time left to go, but, you know, the Lakers, who right now, you know, the Mavericks and Lakers are both 500. The Lakers are only going to get better. And, and the Lakers, obviously, now with the NBA, with that playing format, you want to be in the top six. The Lakers are not going to miss the cut. They're going to be in the top six. And, and so that leaves Dallas competing with, ironically, the team they're playing tonight, a team like Denver, and then a team like the Clippers, to make sure that they're in the top six. And that window's closing, Luca's teammates are hungry. They showed it in his month-long absence, but he's got to really catch up and get up to speed if he wants to avoid that opening play-in round and uh, get a little extra rest going into the postseason as a top-six team. Because Dallas will make it. They'll be in the top 10, no doubt, but that's not good enough for the Mavericks. I mean, you dump Rick Carlisle after years, over a decade of success, and you expect to win now and you get rid of Carlisle because you think he's holding you back? Like you said, Luca's the ankle weight. He's holding them back. Top 10 is not good enough. You got to be top six if you're Dallas. Those are That's where the expectations are. Let's switch over to the other game because the Mavericks are playing the Nuggets right now. And Wednesday night, part of ESPN's doubleheader, it starts with Warriors-Mavs. It ends with the Utah Jazz at the Denver Nuggets. The Utah Jazz are the only team in basketball to not be an underdog 
yet this season. The team that's been an underdog the fewest times, well, Golden State was an underdog at Utah the other day. They beat them outright. That was their sixth contest as a dog. Brooklyn, five times they've been an underdog. Utah has not yet once been a dog. They head to Denver. McKenzie, you project Utah will be a three and a half point favorite in this one. What are your thoughts on this matchup? Utah Jazz ended last season as the number one seed in the West. They've been better this year, statistically. Plus 12 net rating, that's number one in the league. 119 offensive rating, that's number one. And it's number one with some breathing room. About five points later, after 118, 117, 116, you get the Hawks, the Golden State Warriors, the Charlotte Hornets around that 114, 113 range. That's the same difference between the number two team and the number 20th team. The Jazz offense is absolutely in another stratosphere right now, and that's with Donovan Mitchell in and out of the lineup. They rested Connolly. It doesn't, it's not one particular player. It's it's the system. And Rudy Gobert is probably the one cog in that system that is most difficult to replace, but he's replaceable, and they have elite guards, elite wing shooters, and a strong defensive system. What they don't have yet is a bona fide superstar that's been there before. And disappointing loss on Saturday night. They had an eight-point lead over the Golden State Warriors. Lost it. A few weeks ago, there was a close game against the Wizards. Bradley Beal outshined Donovan Mitchell down the stretch. They lost a crazy game that actually had as a best bet on this pod. The Spurs, it seems like every close game they get into, they find a way to lose. Fortunately for them, they don't get into that many close games. They blow out almost everybody they face. So it's an interesting dichotomy. Whenever it's close, it seems to be the Jazz are at a disadvantage, but no team blows out their opponent more than the 22-9. and Actually, 23-9, and they just won Utah Jazz. Yeah, and when you're dealing with a team that enjoys as many blowouts as they do, and you have a projection like the Jazz minus 3.5 one that you're giving me, And that one might change. You've got Denver now inside four minutes to go. They're down eight, and Utah just won. So Nuggets record will be a little worse. Jazz will be a little better. I don't know how much that, if at all, will impact the line that you have right now standing at Jazz minus three and a half. But like I was going to say, when you're dealing with a team that so many of their wins tend to be blowouts, if you think the Jazz are going to win this one, you likely think the Jazz are going to cover this one. And right now I'm looking at this Nuggets-Mavs game, right? Denver has 76 points. Jokic has 25. So Nikola Jokic, the reigning MVP, has a third of his team's points. And he's going up against a team that not only has an explosive offense, you're not going to be able to compete against Utah with 76 points inside four minutes to go, right? You're dead at that point because they'll be at 100 easily at that point. But Jokic, your best player, your leading scorer, really the only sign of life that you have because you've been decimated with injuries, he's going up against his counterpart, Rudy Gobert, happens to be a multiple-time NBA Defensive Player of the Year. So if Gobert is able to, I don't even want to say neutralize or eliminate Jokic, but just to slow him down a step and a half, who the hell are the Nuggets going to turn to? I mean, is Aaron Gordon going to go tit-for-tat, shot-for-shot with Donovan Mitchell? Is Austin Rivers going to be able to get by Mike Conley? Look, I know Conley's old, but this is a guy who's made a career on being an old-school point guard, right? Pass-first, defensive-oriented point guard. And I just don't think Denver, you know, with Murray out and with the injury problems that they've had this season, I don't think Denver can sniff a Utah team at full strength. Mitchell's back. Gobert is going to be able to slow down Jokic. I think Jazz minus three and a half is just, that's something you hammer. If you didn't love Warriors minus three, or if you got scared knowing that that could jump up to four and a half or five, Utah minus three and a half is the play to make Wednesday or, and Mackenzie, this is something I love, tease the Warriors and Jazz together. Love getting the four points there for both of those teams. If you can get Warriors down to a pick'em or minus one, minus one and a half, and then Utah down to a pick'em, my goodness, I think you're sitting pretty. Teasing NBA sides. It's, I don't even like the words don't even ring in Vegas. It's like they, 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 they fall over the, the it's very unusual <laughs> that a pro better will recommend teasing an NBA side. That's all I'll say about that. But Joe's going to make the recommendations that Joe's going to make. 
I, I don't why why tease? Why not parlay? What what about those four points? Is so and why even parlay? Why not just play them? Like where do you think you're getting advantage with the teaser? Look with Golden State at minus three, I'm taking them straight. But if that jumps up to minus four and a half, minus five, even though they should, you know, if they're going to cover minus three, they should cover. It's only an extra point and a half, two points. Should is a tough word, right? You know, the Chicago Bulls, my best bet last episode, which was once three and oh, now my best bets are three and two. The Bulls minus three. If you tease that one, DeMar hits his buzzer beater. They win by two. I lose my bet by a point. Well, if you tease that one, the Bulls hit. So it's all about, of course, who you're teasing it with. Because, you know, anyone who knows anything about teasing bets, I'm a bit of a teaseaholic, but, you know, you need to hit all points, all, all, all of them, right? Hitting one out of two ain't good enough, right? So it, it, a lot of it depends on who you're teasing it with. But I think that these are two teams that are, you know, two of the most reliable teams in basketball. And Golden State, you know, if they win this one by five and you get a push, you're walking away unhappy, right? No one likes a push. But if Golden State, if all you need is them to win outright, then you're sitting pretty. Then at the end of the game, you might be able to relax and not sweat out the final minute, two minutes. Utah and a pick em, I, I just think pick them three and a half. Utah's the lock here for me. Golden State, if that number jumps up to minus five, that's the one you might want to manipulate. Let me push back on this. Not anything about the tease, but Utah are incredibly consistent. That's why I think the Denver Nuggets come into this game with everything to prove they have to, you just mentioned they're going to be in that six seven eight brawl with the Mavericks and the Lakers at the end of the year so at the end of the year the Jazz probably aren't going to be thinking about this game very much the Denver Nuggets know these type of performances these types of plus ones instead of minus ones or zeros is gonna is, is everything for them so I think the Nuggets come in here at a fever pitch and you mentioned Rudy Gobert he is defensive player of the year he's an amazing defensive center However, if you look at his head-up, head-to-head matchups with guys like Christophe Borzingis, Sabonis, the other Europeans is the only reason why I mentioned this. I did a project comparing all the European big men. Uh, who's another one? Um, Derek Favors, just to throw in an example. Gobert excels at beating people at his game, at big brawlers that he can be more physical, stronger than, get them out of the paint. With a guy like Jokic, with as much skill as he has, bringing, and we saw the Clippers do this to Gobert in the playoffs, bringing Gobert out of his comfort zone, I feel like that presents a unique challenge. We've seen the last 10 times the Nuggets host the Jazz, they're 7-3 and three ATS. I feel like this mountain rivalry actually means something to the Nuggets. I feel like we're going to get a fever pitch for the Nuggets. So let me just get into it. My best bet will be the Nuggets plus two in the first half, the Denver Nuggets are a very, very limited team. You mentioned some other limitations. Once it gets beyond Jokic, it gets to replacement level in a hurry. However, in the first half this season, they've been dynamite. That's when Jokic is at his freshest and when he can catch teams off surprise with their unique brand of basketball. So this season, the Nuggets have a plus four margin in the first half. That's number five in the league. That's excellent. In the second half, they're number 29, a minus four margin, almost exactly the opposite. So let me just knock off the second half because I don't want anything to do with the Nuggets when the Jazz get rolling in the second half, probably helping you cash your bet on Jazz minus three. But let me isolate the Nuggets in the first half where Jokic is at his freshest. I like the matchup versus the Jazz. I like that this is going to be a Super Bowl for them. And the Jazz, by the way, just happened to be much better in the second half where they have a plus six margin, only plus four in the first half. Add those things all together. Yes, it's going to be difficult because you're taking the worst team. I relate to the kind of better that says, let me just bet the better teams and watch them win because that works out a lot if you can identify the better teams. But every so often, there's a worse team in a home run scenario where you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck taking the value. We're estimating this round three and a half. That means the first half line should be right around two. That's the sneaky value on the board. Best bet, Denver Nuggets, plus two in the first half. Yeah, you look at the Jazz against Golden State, and 
They were down 14 at halftime, made it a game, actually had the lead going into the fourth quarter because they outscored Golden State by 19 alone in the third quarter. Uh, tonight against New Orleans, they won by 11. At halftime, they were only winning by three. And that's against an awful, incredibly disappointing New Orleans Pelicans team. Yeah, the Jazz have not been dynamite in the first half. In the third quarter, they are arguably, and I don't have the numbers in front of me to prove this, so I'll just say one of the best. They might be the best, but they are one of the best third quarter teams in basketball this season. Um, so yeah, going off that, Utah is going to win this game. They're going to cover that three and a half point number, but first half, I, I don't hate that. I don't hate that Nuggets uh, plus two. I tell you exactly how it's going to go. I just had a premonition. <laughs> 56-54, Jazz lead at the break, but they blow it out. It's not close. 120-103 final. Mark it down in pen, in in indelible ink. That's what's going to happen. Ooh. Two best bets, two winners, the same game, opposite sides. Only here on the pregame.com NBA I show. love it, but I got to stop you there because I wasn't making that my best bet, the Jazz minus three and a half. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> no, no, two, two of our best yeah, bets. You're I, right. I, don't, don't, yeah, don't get it twisted. We have another, yes, another best bet coming from, to you, from my man, Joe Sorallo. Hit him. And that is a Tuesday night game because we've spent so much time on Wednesday. It is the Memphis Grizzlies plus three and a half in Cleveland. Tonight, as we're recording this on Monday, the Grizzlies are coming off a blowout win in Brooklyn against the star-studded Nets. 118-104. to 104. Going into the fourth quarter, they were up 23 points on Durant and company. So if you're worried about a back-to-back, the Grizzlies had some rest time late in this one tonight. They had a comfortable lead against two people argue is far and away the best team in the Eastern Conference. Now, they're heading to a team that was atop the Eastern Conference, but has suffered. The Cleveland Cavaliers have not covered since losing Ricky Rubio. We spent a lot of time talking about that injury in our last episode. Since the game that he got injured, they have not covered. They have lost three out of four. They failed to cover in four straight. Meanwhile, the Memphis Grizzlies, one of the best kept secrets in the NBA coming into the season, they have now won five straight. They have now won 10 out of their last 13, and they have now covered in four out of five. John Morant has come back from his injury to full form. He was an absolute stud against the Lakers. We talked a ton about that. Tonight, 36 points, six boards, eight assists against the Nets. I mean, look, the Grizzlies, I may not be sold come the postseason on everything around John Morant, but right now he is enough to go against a Cleveland Cavaliers team that has no guards and to not only cover the plus three and a half points, but to win that game outright. And I'm not going to make Memphis Moneyline, my best bet. I'm probably going to bet it, but I'll say best bet plus three and a half. The Grizzlies are going to cover both games in this back-to-back, and I think they're going to win both games in this back-to-back. That, I believe, is your best bet, best bet yet. And you have 100% agreement for me. Just a couple factors I want to hone in on that you mentioned. Number one is guards. Cleveland Cavaliers are probably the most guard-bereft team that's you know, not the Detroit Pistons, even though they have a rookie guard that's pretty good. They're probably the most bereft guard team in the league. Evan Mobley is going to have a very difficult time affecting the game if he can't get the ball and it's being ripped away from his point guard 30 feet from him. The Grizzlies are probably the number one team that you would want to attack a team that doesn't have many guards because they have John Morant, who's probably as athletic as anyone at the position. They also have just a ton of length. Brandon Clark, Dylan Brooks, JJJ, they have the kind of guys that get into passing lanes. You have strong endorsement for me. And here's the other thing. The fact that they got so much rest against the Nets team, winning by 20-plus throughout the fourth quarter, as balanced as they are, I feel like they're going to be no rest, no worse for the wear tomorrow night. In fact, a young team like this, they might be excited to get back on the court. So the minus two that you usually assign for a back-to-back team on the road, I feel like that's nullified here. So I feel like the market is moving this two points where they really shouldn't. Young Grizzlies team going to be amped to start that game. Wouldn't be surprised if that makes my card tomorrow. Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, 
I, I mean, if you look at their, their starters, right, in the minutes played, Desmond Bain actually led the team with 37 minutes. Ja only played 34. You know, a, a lot of stars, when there's a back-to-back, they get the night off. This guy's 22 years old. Right. He's not getting load management for this stretch, right? These two road games in Brooklyn, in Cleveland. You expect going to Brooklyn to play the Nets. If this game is going to be close, if Memphis is going to win, first off, you assume if Memphis wins, it's going to be a close, you know, a close game, a drag out. For John Morant to only play 34 minutes, he should have had to play 45 for Memphis to win this game on the road. 34 is like a night off in this one. I mean, JJJ, Jaron Jackson Jr., 25 minutes. Now, he didn't have a good game, right? Five points on two of 12 from the field. I'd imagine he's not going to do that again tomorrow night or tonight as you're listening to this. 25 minutes, he's going to be well-rested. Steven Adams, you know, we all know that the Cavs, their strength, especially right now, as their backcourt's decimated with injuries, their strength is what they offer in the post. Adams only played 27 minutes. He's well-rested. This is a Grizzlies team that I think, compared to most back-to-back scenarios, I think they're ready to go for this game in Cleveland. Like I said, my best bet is that they'll cover the three and a half, but I think Memphis wins this one outright. Joe, that is your best, best bet yet. (laughs) I'm going to put my money behind it. Very strong analysis, and I can't wait to get at it. Let's go. Me either, maybe. Let's make some money. I'm taking us out on that note for episode six of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition. I'm Joe Serralo. Catch me on Twitter at the Joe Serralo and on Instagram at Joe Serralo. And for my man Mackenzie Rivers, catch him on Twitter at Mac and Rivers and go subscribe to his three-star plays. He's making a lot of money on Pregame's website, guys. You'll hear from us Friday. <laughs>